I'm Emily Rems. I'm Callie Watts. We are both editors at Bust Magazine in New York City. And today, in the studio, we have Julie Klausner. Hi, guys. Hello. Difficult people. That's me. (laughs) Julie Klausner not only is the creator, writer, producer, star of Difficult People, genius behind Difficult People, but she is also a longtime FOB friend of Bust. Yes, yes. Proudly so. I've been reading you guys since you were like a, a fanzine. Oh my god! Back in the day, yeah. And you interviewed Maya Rudolph for our cover. I story. did. That was one of the best times I've ever. We we ordered donuts. She talked about how like the person at TSA made her taste her own breast milk. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was so fun. That was so fun. And my it was like I'd never like hung out with her before. It was like she was my best friend instantly. That was fabulous. Oh my god! It's like the ultimate bust experience. And then. You topped that by hosting our 20th anniversary gala. Yes. I remember I got to meet Gloria Steinem. Gloria Steinem. That was like the highlight for everybody. I got to meet Gloria Steinem. That was so surreal. She was so cool. I remember asking her like right away about how the sexual revolution wasn't the feminist revolution. It wasn't the women's movement. And she was like, on the cover of the first Ms. magazine, we said, that is not our war and I was like, wow, we could just dive right into let's it. Let's do it right now. Yeah, no, it was so cool. <laughs> she was so up for like, yeah, let's just like, let's just do this. Let's just talk about real stuff that matters. And she was stunningly beautiful. Oh, yeah, that was, that was ridiculous <laughs> oh how gorgeous she was. Yeah. And we've also featured you as a famous person in Bust Magazine. Yes. Uh, we wrote about you during for the first season I of remember. Difficult People, and now we're at season three. Yes, yes. Season it's three debuted. so exciting. Tuesday, August 8th, 8-8. Eight, eight. And we're going to do like one episode every Tuesday, Ten. 10 altogether. Yeah. I know, I know. They're like professional athletes of alcohol. Your music sounds like reggae in the airport. How was your week? <laughs> Trump is no Beyonce. You're tripping if you think that <laughs> yeah. I'm tripping. It's like, I'm going to drink this poison and spill all the tea on you. We were just talking before we turned the microphones on about how at, at the time that we're recording this interview, we're like, hey, I wonder if we're about to be in a nuclear war with North Korea. Yeah. And um, it is so helpful to have difficult people oh. <laughs> premiere at this time when the stress is so high it's to terrifying. turn on something. Listen, I, it, first of all, thank you. I like to think of myself as the antidote to nuclear waste. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I mean, we we tried to toe the line this season with how much of this is going to be a distraction from the nightmarish end times that is the political environment right now in this country and how much of it is going to attack that very thing and we kind of have our cake and eat it too to some extent because we um you know we you can't not acknowledge the election uh-huh. and my show has always been like I've always had a very strong feminist agenda that I want to tell stories from a woman's point of view even if they're stories that you've seen on a sitcom before with me and my boyfriend Arthur they're always going to be whether they're like sex relationship stories they're always going to be from the female point of view so hopefully that in its own right is a little political and hopefully that kind of feels like an antidote to 
how powerless I, for one, feel right now in this political environment. Uh-huh. So hopefully it'll both distract you with laughs <laughs> and uh, and be kind of its own like resistance by seeing outsiders prevail on the show. Well, there's I feel like it's very deft. You almost get the sense from the I've seen the first four episodes. Oh, cool. Um, that you're we're just like slightly in the future where uh, we're getting health care from Quiznos. Yes. Yeah, that was so yes. hilarious. The Department of Health has been replaced by Jenny McCarthy's blog on the show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, Quiznos was so good. Yeah. And the Quiznos Clinic with a Q. With a Q. Yeah. <laughs> Quiznos and, let us do that, by the way. Legally, they were like, sure, just make sure you say toasty points. <laughs> you just had to redeeming. say toasty points? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to, because, and then we had to order like a, Turkey Ranch and Swiss. We had to order like a specific sandwich. That, that was a offer. specific sandwich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds That's great. So by the way, so funny because I, I was like, I wonder if Billy Eichner would really eat that. He certainly would not, but I would. <laughs> I, I've, I've, I've already eaten twelve today, and it's two p.m. No, no. Quiznos was so cool about letting us do that, and we decorated a coffee shop like a Quiznos, and they were completely fine with it, which That's is amazing. amazing. <laughs> no, we give our legal counsel some like fun things. I that mean, they're not fun really right like now, Quiznos now. They're moving I up on my love. List. Quiznos. It's toasted. <laughs> but there was also the um the Mike Pence gay conversion. Oh, the Pence jokes. Yes, the six so pence good. none the gayer gay conversion program from the government where you get six thousand dollars if you agree to um convert yourself from a gay person into a normal person. Right, right. Yeah. So the the way that you're jabbing at the administration is definitely funny it definitely has a place in a comedy show but it's funny because it's like so fucking scary and sad and (laughs) such a nightmare um you're you're the the queen of the show like you run the whole shebang so you really have a a platform that not everybody has how do you consider yourself as a someone who's making a comedy as well as someone who's an activist. Well, it's, it's interesting because, like I said, I always have a feminist agenda going into this show. It's always, it's very deliberate. And the fact of the matter is that a woman and a gay man are the, sort of the centerpiece that we're not sidekicks. We're not, right. you know, the best friend that's sort of rooting for the main character. And in the case of me and Arthur, like you're seeing the relationship from my point of view. Um, so that's always been something I've been very dedicated to. Um, with this administration, it just became, you know, we're a show that has so many pop culture references uh-huh. and our characters have so many strong opinions. Um, it made sense to weave that into the show. And also, we're so angry that it's right. to show how justified we are. It makes our characters less crazy when you see how crazy is the world, the cra- how crazy the world is around us. And I like to think of, you know, the mild dystopia of our show being like, a comedic contrast to the extreme dystopia of The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. Which is another show on Hulu. And hopefully we're the opposite in that we show, you know, outsiders prevailing and as the, you know, the, like the, the queen of the story essentially. Right. And that, you know, you do see a lot of like LGBTQ and, and female characters, um, as the leads. And like I said, surviving, resisting, prevailing, it's our story. Um, so hopefully that is nice to people that are not usually visible on television as well. I love The Handmaid's Tale, but I couldn't get past. I I had to check out, man. It was too depressing. Oh, it was like hor- it's a it's it's a re- you have to like horror. I think I love horror. 
It was, but it, it was too too real. And also, yeah. I would be watching it by myself because I don't want to subject all my roommates to depression <laughs> when they're watching TV it's with me. It's devastating. I mean, I so love it. I think it's they would come genius. home, I'd be like, I'll turn this off. I completely get it. I, I think it's genius. I love it, but I completely get it if someone's like, I can't deal with this. I, I can barely deal it, with it sometimes. Like, later. I'm like, why am I doing this to myself? It's in my pocket oh, for good. when I can emotionally deal. Yeah. Oh, good. A clitorectomy <laughs> story point. <laughs> this huh. is really I what I needed on a Thursday at 8 p.m. Once again, I'm wearing the Kim Jong socks. Oh, how appropriate. Oh, good. I hope they're we know good luck socks. On. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering the other day, you would think that he would love Trump. Kim? Yeah. I feel like Kim, yeah. Trump, Putin, it's like a buddy comedy. Yeah, it's true. They're all the same person in a way. And you kind of hate the person that reminds you of yourself. So maybe it's that. Yeah. Well, it's like also, a- because then it'd be like early Destiny's Child. Like, who's who's the lead singer? <laughs> And then, you know, there'd be fallout. Right, exactly. Kim, <laughs> they all think they're Beyonce. Yeah. Yeah. Trump is no Beyonce. No, none of them are Beyonce. If one of them was Beyonce, it's Vladimir Putin. Have you seen his vacation shots? Yeah. He has new vacations. <sighs> no one can sir- suck in like shots. that guy. My oh. God. How many, how many <laughs> he farts? Such a sucker how in many her. farts has he been holding in with that guy? <laughs> right. with, with the ab control that he has. Oh, with God. his casual fly fishing. Oh, so, casual. so casual. So <laughs> casual. When we first talked to you, uh, season one, for Difficult People, you said that it started from your desire to do a female Louie that was structured like Curb Your Enthusiasm. Has your vision for the show changed since then? Yeah. I mean, that's that's funny that I said that. I I definitely, like, used Louie at the time when I was writing the pilot as an in because I liked the idea of him being so imperfect mm-hmm. and following his life and his travails structurally, I thought that was really interesting. But I've also always been attracted to the writing style of Curb. Um, and it's it's funny, like, I think people are want to compare you to another woman. Um, I think sometimes the best compliment is to compare your work to, like, a great TV show, whether it's made by a man or a woman. And I think yeah. that whenever someone says Curb for our show, I, I'm just so happy because it just sort of means that it kind of stands alone. Not that I mind being compared to other women, of course, but it's like, there's something, you know, it's sort of a universal compliment, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as the vision of the show, we've absolutely like gotten into our own groove. I mean, we've figured out not a formula as much as a roadmap. Like we know that Julie's always going to have a story. Billy's always going to have a story. Billy and Julie are going to have a story. And then there's going to be a runner at the cafe or um, a runner with Marilyn or a runner with Arthur or else Marilyn's story is going to be in the, like, foreground and maybe, like, Billy and Arthur have a story. Like, we've just sort of figured out a certain amount of, like, pattern mm-hmm. that informs the show. And then we've also taken a lot of influence from, like, the comeback and AbFab and, you know, shows that I... I you know, sort of didn't mention when I was going into it, but I see more and more really like them and, and shows about friendship I've always loved because for some reason they just endure more. I mean, if I had to make a generalization, like more so than shows about romances, like yeah. Yeah. romantic relationships. I think that there's something about the workplace and something about friendship that really, really sings on television. We're really careful on our show never to have Billy and Julie fight. Mm. Um 
or never to have a story in which Julie's up to something that Billy doesn't know about or yeah. vice versa. It's very important that the two of them are on the same team because it's what keeps us likable. It's what keeps the audience invested in us um, yeah. is that, you know, we really do unequivocally love each other. I'd read an interview the other day that both you and Amy Poehler have not seen Friends. Yes, that's true. That's it's impressive, isn't it? have not seen Friends. Congratulations! Yeah, when I read that, I was like, oh. Yeah, it's a golden thing to have yeah. under your belt. There's <laughs> no need to see Listen, Friends. I'm proud. I don't, I don't like being proud of ignorance. Like, I'm not one of these people who's like, isn't it cool that I've never blah, blah, blah. But I will say, I think it's kind of impressive that I've avoided it. I will say that... Jay-Z's new video, the music video that just came oh, out. Oh, yeah, where Issa's in it and stuff. Yeah, it's a remake of Friends, so you but may need to watch an episode. Credits. I've seen the opening credits of Friends. Sure. I don't know how or why. But no, this I, is no, the whole... It's I've the seen whole, the opening credits, It's the whole thing? It's like a mock episode. See, when oh. you were starting to say that, I was like, oh, great, that's something I can watch instead of Friends, <laughs> which is something but I gotta will take you titles, up on. So I've just Do seen, I? like, clips of it, and I'm like, fuck you, title. I want to watch Black Friends. It's going to hit the... I hope so. I've wasted too. like an hour of my life just trying to find. Trying to hack the title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. Like, Let me get this video. Yeah, no, it looks fierce. It looks really I good. Love so good. I love Issa Rae. Oh, my God. Are I you watching uh, I bet I am. I love that show. I was actually angry at her uh, in season at one. At Issa? Yeah. And yeah. I and I didn't oh, like I was totally that I was angry. angry at her because she's so incandescently like beautiful i just want to charming I, and delicious yeah all yeah. of those things but like, i think that was I, I important her, to make her not likable and, and relatable she would you know? love that she would love that you feel that way i think i think that that's one of the biggest compliments is that you write you've written yourself as sort of unlikably as you can because it means that you're funny and complicated and interesting and also you know boys always get to be that so it's our turn for a little bit right so let's talk more about that yeah do you think that writing yourself as a difficult person mm -hmm. is an inherently feminist act absolutely because mm -hmm. it's taking back the all the opportunity not all the opportunities but one of the many opportunities that men have had is to be the funny one i mean look at like Kenny Powers on Eastbound and Down. I mean, Danny McBride is Kenny Powers. Or yeah. look at Larry David. Like, whether or not you'd call them likable is sort of besides the point. It's They're the funny ones. They get the jokes. They get to be funny. And as a woman in comedy, which is how I start every sentence, like, like a, you know, a small latte as a woman in comedy, <laughs> um, I want to be the funny one. So... Yeah what choice do I have but to write my own thing where I get to be the funny one and not the one that says, oh, honey, that sounds crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just... Don't it's, do that fun thing. Sweetie, why would you do that? That sounds <laughs> stupid. Oh, boy, my husband just went to Las Vegas with his crazy friends. Here and we I'm go gonna, again. Yeah, like the Skylar effect of, like, kissing uh, on everyone's fun and then the audience hates her. And Who's Skylar? From... Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. Oh. Yeah, yeah. And I just felt so compassionate for the actresses on that show because they just didn't have anything to do beyond no likability. They just parts on that show. No. And neither are there on Better Call Saul, if I may. Yeah. I mean, I think that... You may. She's fantastic, the woman who plays Kim, but I don't think she's given as much as she should be. And so, you know, um, from my show, I try to give the juicy parts to, to, to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel that... As a viewer, as a fan of your show, I really feel like I'm sitting at home and I'm watching entertainment that was created, written, and produced and starring a feminist person. That's yeah. how I feel as a feminist watching it. That's great. And I, 
it fills me with joy. That's awesome. But it also fills me a little bit with sadness that there it seems so unusual to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not as unusual now as it once was. But sure. how is... I just am... I want to phrase this question a certain way because the question is like, how did this happen? Of course this happens because you're yeah. incredibly talented and well, people recognize your talent and that you're super funny. That never matters in Hollywood though. Like how were <laughs> like we given this opportunity to see your work in such like a fully realized way where you get to control all of it and, and that trans it doesn't get sort of lost in translation. Yeah. Like by the time it gets to my right, eyeballs, right, it's right. still that way. Well, thank you, first of all. And I think I'm incredibly lucky. And I've had Amy Poehler as an incredible protector of my vision. And also, you know, we we were united with Hulu at a really great time for them. They yeah. had just started out. They were sort of figuring out what they were doing. And they loved the pilot that we had shot. So they really trusted us and they especially trusted Amy. They're like, well, you know what's funny. We're not going to like argue with you about what's funny. <laughs> yeah. And so the notes they give us are just blessedly minimal. And we're kind of up. It's sort of up to ourselves to sort of like self-regulate. And if we sort of feel like something's hitting the wrong note, then we won't do it. But we're just incredibly lucky. I guess that's my best answer to it. <laughs> have, have they ever been like, that's too much? Never, no. That's amazing. Wow. No, no. That is I amazing. mean, every once in a while, they'll have like a pitch for something or they'll be like, I'm not sure if this really like makes sense. But usually they're more helpful than anything. Um, if anything, like internally, we're a lot harder on ourselves than it would ever, you know, get to the point where we go to the network and they were like, no, like we're very much like, I don't know if this is really because that's a big part of the show that you mentioned is that like if you've never seen it on TV before like we need to make sure if you have seen it on TV that there's a twist to it that makes it our show yeah uh -huh. and then if it's something that you could be on another show then we won't do it uh -huh. so even if there is a storyline you know in season one there was one about a three-way and how I wanted a three-way but I didn't want it with two girls and a guy. I wanted it with two guys and a girl because I thought that was a feminist ratio. <laughs> and I felt like men have enough in this society. Uh -huh. So that I think is something that you would probably see on a cheesy sitcom with like a Kevin James and his sort of inappropriately hot young wife. Right. You know, and, and trying to like convince her to have a three way. And ultimately we don't. And I think that's another sitcom convention. But because it was from my point of view, it was different. Yeah. And so I, I like I like subverting that. Yeah. I love the Arthur character. He's, yeah, he's and great. all weird names great? that it calls you are yep. so good. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. There's a, I keep like a nickname, um, like a document, like just <laughs> nicknames throughout the year. Yeah. That's <laughs> awesome. I love the one with the task rabbit. Oh, thanks with Chris Elliott. Yeah, that oh, was so good. That was, that was the most I've ever laughed during a work day in my life. He really made me laugh that day. And to the extent where I was like angry, I'm like, how come I don't laugh every day? <laughs> just his like, Facial expressions yep. watching you in yeah. the apartment were bonkers. He is the funniest man alive. It's Chris so Elliott. reminded me of this. I used to own a feminist porn magazine, and there was this guy mm -hmm. that would always try to, like, if we would ask favor on the internet, like, who can come, who has a car we can borrow to go uh -huh. pick this stuff up? And he would, he was called Houseboy Ashtray. And he was like, oh, come, he was a doormat submissive. Yeah. He was like, oh. I'll come clean your office if you guys ash in my mouth. Oh. And then he was like, you guys can, I have a car you guys can borrow to go pick up whatever we needed to pick up, but you have to put me in the trunk. And I'm like, are you fucking you shitting? You real life Chris Elliott character. It was his dad's car he wanted to borrow, but he was like an older man in his 40s. And I was like, I, I don't have a license. I'm a, 
a pornographer driving a man around in his trunk that belongs to someone else? I don't think so. There's I want to no stop talking about my show and only hear more about this. <laughs> this is so funny to me. I never I did love... it because I was like, can I be that mean to an older man? Whether like... or not you could or couldn't. I feel like you never did it because you never wanted to do it. Because you yeah. know it wouldn't turn you on. No. And, and once like... one party is turned on, that's always a challenge, I think. I would have so much anxiety about situation. having a dude tied up in a car and getting yeah, pulled over extreme. and having oh. to explain oh that too that's practical <laughs> yeah did i, I ever like... tell you about the the submissive roadie for my band no oh, oh my god sidebar we will get back to why people <laughs> but um i was in a, a all-girl punk band called royal pink for three years and um our gear was really heavy and we wanted a roadie and so uh one of the band members put an ad on craigslist like like all girl punk band needs roadie who will work for free just for the privilege of carrying the right. gear of a feminist band. Sure. And so of course all these like submissive dudes like applied and she picked one and we didn't want the dude to know where any of us lived. So we uh, right. picked a day when we were at a recording, like a rehearsal space to interview, to do like a job interview for our prospective roadie submissive person. And I was not entirely comfortable with the scenario, but all the other girls were, and I was like, okay, I'm not going to be, like, the buzzkill drummer. I'm going to totally go along with this and see how it goes. And the guy walks in, and the lead singer goes, oh, my God. And they had gone to high school together. Oh, my oh, God. And that's what happens when you, like, live in New York, and you live your whole life in New York. And New York is actually a tiny little town, and, like, the dude from her high school graduating class walks in. Oh, my and then God. And they, like, wanted to be each other. And, and he was like, um... Yeah, he's like, no, no. you still step on me. Oh, no, he left. But I think oh. he did like meet up with the the bassist who he did not go to high school with once, just to like clean her house. But oh, that's cool. She said that he just required too much attention. Ugh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That that can happen with submissives, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, well, the the episode that you guys yeah. were talking about, yeah, in which exactly. Julie and Arthur have a fight, and so Julie's apartment turns to like chaos within moments after Arthur leaves. And so she hires a, um, we call it a chore rabbit on the uh -huh. show. Uh, again, best legal counsel of any, <laughs> of any show. The fact that we're able to even call it that and then have Chris Elliott do what he does. Um, and he shows up and it turns out that he's just very sexually turned on by being um, bossed around. And have you ever heard of the human carpet? Do you know that? Yeah, yeah. I know yeah, that yeah. guy. There's he actually was... two of them. Is there really? Yeah. Tell me about the There's second two. one. There's one that's like in his... I want to say like his 40s. Mm -hmm. And then there's an older, older I'm guy. Talking, I know about the older guy. I didn't know about um, Human Carpet Jr. There used to be a lot of punk shows where like he would just beat, like you couldn't get to the bar without yeah. stepping yeah. on him. And that's the non-consensual part. Yeah. Exactly. It, that's that's the, the part that would piss me yeah. off because I'm like, I'm not tripping because you insist on laying right in front of right. this doorway. You're, tri you're tripping if you think that <laughs> <Yeah>. I'm tripping. <laughs> <laughs> also, I, don't, yeah. I can't afford another drink. So if I spill this on you, you got to buy a new one. Yeah, you got to get out of your, your goddamn, like, you know, Ikea fucking whatever the hell that remnant. is you're rolled up in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, your Ikea remnant and stand up and your get another vodka cloak. soda, you piece of shit. <laughs> He's like, oh, yes, I love this. But yeah, we have Chris Elliott do that. And it's it was so good. How about really quick, you guys just roll me up in the carpet here and take turns stepping on me. Not no. today, buddy. Come on, let's go. He is uh, heaven on earth. And his, and his daughters are so funny, too. And they're yeah. so great. And. That whole family. I wish I was. Wish they were my family. You have so many great um, guests on there. Vanessa Williams. Yep. Vanessa Williams. Rosie O'Donnell. I got so excited when she came on. I was like, she's Yes. So Every episode, it's like, it. Whoa. Yeah. 
That was also something where we just wrote it. We're like, then Maury Povich appears, and it wasn't even a question of like, well, should we ask him first? Is he available? No, he'll it's definitely like, appear. It's like, no, he's like, he will, he will be there. Like, this is part <laughs> of the story. It was like that with Mickey Dolan's. We wrote an episode for Mickey Dolan's from the Monkees. Uh-huh. And there were other, like, there was a question of, like, before we go out to him, are there other, like, second... And I was like, no. No. <laughs> if Mickey Dolan's can't do it, we will throw this story away. Because there is nobody else that will make me laugh as much. Mickey Dolan's basically shows up because Billy wrote him a fan letter when he was a little kid. Oh, my And gosh. he has a one-man show that he makes Billy, like, help him out with. And it's based on this real experience that a writer friend of ours had um, who uh, was enlisted by uh, Rue McClanahan, actually, to like oh write her one-woman show. Whoa. And is at, that, that's not the same person who has the Rue LaRue, is it? No, I don't. No, no, no. Different person. Oh, okay. But he, but it went, it was one of these like kind of don't work with your idols sort of situations yeah. where like occasionally she would have an idea to like sing, you know, a song from the gold the, the golden girls theme song with like estelle getty who had already passed away and <laughs> so she wanted it to be a hologram and nice he had to explain you know because there's no footage of her singing it we can't do a hologram of her singing it with you um and just things like that that we um do with mickey dolan's and I promise oh, it's really so funny good. yeah here's here are the things that i love and when I tell you that I love them, you'll understand my deep devotion to your show. <laughs> I love pop culture. Yeah. I me love too. gay culture. Me too. I love Jewish culture. You're in luck. I love New York, <laughs> weird New York things oh, like the human carpet. Boy, are you in luck. <laughs> and I love feminism. Yeah, me too. Those are things that I love. And I feel like... If you like is... any of those, yeah. <laughs> please watch my show because I don't know how many of us there are, but... I promise you'll love it. A rapid fire barrage of jokes that cover all of those things. It's it's almost it's so fast. Like I have to You have to watch it like I get three whiplash. times, I think, to to kind of get everything. And I, there was one I feel like, oh right. I had to actually because I, I had the luxury of watching it on a screener that I could pause, I had to stop to look up um Sharon Lawrence from NYPD oh. Blue. <laughs> but that was the only I'm proud to say that in the first four episodes, that was the That's only the time, only reference you needed to look up. That was the only thing I had to look up. That's impressive. And and I feel richer now knowing who Sharon is. You are Lawrence richer. Is. <laughs> and she's on uh, you know, all those Bill Lawrence shows. She's Bill Lawrence's wife. So she's on Cougar Town and Scrubs, I think, and right. everything he does. She's she's, she's a network lady. She is a network lady, and uh, it it does make me wonder while I'm rolling around laughing, <laughs> like I feel that you're not talking down to me or explaining any of these oh, jokes. It's you. just like joke, joke, joke. Yeah, you yeah, either yeah, get yeah, it, totally. you either get like, it, or you can look it up. This is a great website called Google. <laughs> yeah, if you're, that's a great thing about it. If you're curious. Then you can look it up and you'll be all the richer. And if not, and you still, here's another joke. Yeah. If you didn't like that one, guess what? There's another one one flying at you. Five seconds later. But is there ever a concern about being too inside baseball or do you just trust your audience? Totally. Well, both. I mean, I think that like there was one reference that I had to look up and that meant I couldn't use it. Like the Micro (laughs) Machines guy, this guy named John Masita, I think. Exactly. Your the blank speed talker faces. guy. Yeah, he's a speed talker. And oh. there's a there's an episode where Arthur, you know, doesn't know how to like give me an orgasm by his own hand yeah. and mouth. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I'm like used to getting myself off after we have sex. And he's like, let me try to get you off. And he is trying and trying and trying to give me an orgasm. And every time he comes up from underneath the sheets, he says, that was the Braille wishbone or that was the other Becky from Roseanne. <laughs> yeah, that, that was hilarious. The, you know, the like reach for the peanut butter under the jar or like other sort of dirty things. Um, and uh, Tom Sharpling is one of the writers in the room pitched. That's the John Masita. And I didn't know who, and I could be getting his name wrong, but I didn't know who he was. And then he was like, the Micro Machines guy. And I was like, oh, I love that. That's hilarious. I typed it into the script. And then I was like, wait a minute. If I don't get that reference, we can't. Yeah, you got to call him the <laughs> Micro Machines it. guy. No. I wouldn't know his name. I would only exactly. know my I would only know exactly. Micro Machines commercial. Exactly. Yeah. So that, that's when it's too obscure. But when it makes me laugh, then I do it. The, um, the Woody Allen episode. Oh my god! The the <laughs> bit about him falling asleep everywhere—is there any basis to that? That Please was Cole. That was Cole Escola in the room at, with like I think it was like Scott King was the showrunner. Like I was home working on another script, and then they sent me that paragraph about Woody kept falling asleep, and when they were shooting Midnight Paris, he fell asleep in a lake, and he like they end up finding him in a matchbox. I, yeah. I laughed. Yeah, I, was I laughed dying. so I was like, hard about that that I was like, this is the silliest thing I've ever heard. We must use it. And well, then legit, I convinced myself that he fell asleep all the time. A woman against women against Woody Allen group, I would join it in real life. Yeah. I would like I feel like for a while I was just going to Woody Allen press screenings so I could really? write reviews trashing his movies yeah. and then like they caught on and I don't get invited anymore. You that is like <laughs> are you kidding? What a, what a gift that you don't have to sit through like yeah Mr. Mysteries or whatever. I have actually is. never seen an entire oh no the one where Drew Barrymore sings. Uh-huh. That's the only Everybody one that says I love you. Says yeah. I love you. Well, I grew up loving Woody Allen. Me I too. I loved Annie Hall. I loved Hannah and Her Sisters, Crimes and Misdemeanors, even like Manhattan Murder Mystery. And um, I liked Husbands and Wives. Like I loved all of those. Yeah. That's why it's so painful to let go. It's painful to see somebody not make good things. And it's painful for somebody to have had such a horrific record with women, um, both on and off camera uh-huh. um and w- the 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 him falling asleep stuff in our script <laughs> came from us actually watching clips of his amazon series crisis in six unwatchable scenes, shocking unwatchable and as bad as you think it is it is so much worse and moreover <laughs> it is so lazy the camera doesn't move and there are no second takes it's like it's <laughs> tripoded and woody out there's like this Seems like a 10 minute long scene where he's in a barber's chair and he's yes, saying, the beginning of the show, the, yeah. And he's saying to the barber, I want to look like James Dean. And he goes, Well, that's difficult. And then he goes, So I read your new novel, and we just lifted that straight up. So we all say, So I heard, so I read your new novel over and over again on the show. And it was just our sort of homage. We used to watch clips of that in the writer's room and just laugh our asses off at how bad it was. I can't believe it got made, it's shocking, yeah. <clears throat> they just, and, yeah. Today said that Selena Gomez and Elle and Fanning, Fanning, because Dakota Fanning aged out of being yeah. a, a romantic so they're lead in one of the his next movies, one. so right. he got her younger sister. And I was so bummed, because I love both of them, and I'm like, fuck. He has to read the Disney Channel. And which one is he going to end up sleeping gross. with in the show, I wonder, you know? Oh, you mean in the movie? Yeah. Or it, yeah. I, I'm not sure if it's a movie or a show. That Either seen, way, but... like, young women Ugh. are very attracted to older men in those movies. It's amazing he's still able to make stuff, because he also, didn't he, like... 
complain that he didn't want to make the show after Amazon gave him the show. And you're like, yeah. Why? you're not being forced to. Yeah, you don't have to do shit. So now I have to suffer because you don't want to <laughs> make you don't want to make it. He's like, I'll show them. Yeah, and Miley I'll Cyrus is in it. Yeah. And like, I mean, oh, it's, it's intense. It's intense. I strongly recommend you go to the IMDb page for Crisis and Sixteens. There are like four clips there. I've watched them a million times. <laughs> They're very funny. But don't but watch not any more than that. No, 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 no. You'll have seizures. Yeah. <laughs> There should be, like, a health warning on it. Absolutely. Before Difficult People, you were one of the funniest recappers to oh, ever recap you. anything ever. And you were re- I would read your uh, Real Housewives recaps so I wouldn't have to watch the show. Oh, thank and you. And I would still feel culturally relevant and I could still chime in <laughs> and not actually have to watch it. Um, but then something astonishing happened and that, like, you are now friends with Housewives. <laughs> A little birdie told me that you were at Countess Luann's most recent nuptials. I was not at her wedding, but I did go to her Christmas party. I see. <laughs> so how, like, how did that happen? How did you make the transition from Real Housewives uh, recapper to Real Housewives hobnobber? And do you feel like you have to somehow censor yourself as you make the oh, transition definitely. from <laughs> journalist to very much so, very in, much so in that world? But what's the sacrifice really? How I made that transition is that I gave an interview and someone asked me who my favorite housewife was and I said Luann and then the next thing I knew I got an email from Luann's publicist being like Luann would like to have breakfast with you. Oh my god. So I had breakfast with Luann uh-huh. and um, ever since then it, I've got like texts from her and I've hung out with her a couple times and she a lot of fun and I don't know what else to say <laughs> and we cast her and Sonia to play themselves in season two of Difficult right. People so uh-huh. they were both at the premiere so yeah it's very funny I mean listen That's those women know how to party those women <laughs> oh my god they will make any event a lot more fun and boy can they drink I mean like you've never you if you watch the show, you know, like the Real Housewives of New York City are the best drinkers on television. They're like, <laughs> they're like professional athletes of alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. They could put any frat to shame. Those women sure. are, I mean, I, I frankly, I watch and I'm just like, I'm so impressed at how well they <laughs> hold their liquor. It. It's, it's great. Listen, you know, people can say the Real Housewives are bad for women or whatever, but it ultimately comes down to, listen, you're watching women and you're watching women mm-hmm. over 40 and they're the leads. And guess what? Yeah. They're funny as hell. Whether or not they know it is almost irrelevant but it's one of the best i mean it's a it's a it's a soap too which is another thing that's like a woman's sort of genre that's dismissed and always will be Uh it's a comedy of manners you know and it's incredibly satisfying to watch women be even crazy women being women and female behavior that's distinctively female even when it's aberrant is still (laughs) um I feel like I'd, I'd still rather watch any Real Housewives than a show starring all men. Yeah, definitely. Oh, for sure. I have a very short list of things starring only men that I like. Yeah. One of them is the Metallica documentary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very short list of, like, things without women in them. And that's one of them. That's hilarious. Yeah. I like Brokeback Mountain. That's about sure, it. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I think there's, like, a Tarantino one, too. I, I don't like Reservoir Dogs. Um, but I guess, yeah, Django, I don't like... For that reason, right. Inglorious. There's two. There's two great women in Inglorious. Yeah. I'm now. I'm running my brain to see if there's anything on my top list. With <laughs> a lot of Mammoth. A lot of Sorkin. You know, any of those like men. I like Queer as Folk. Did, were there no girls in Queer as Folk? There weren't. Well, there were girls. Sharon Gless. 
oh, less is more. You know what I always say? Yeah. Oh, I just was just getting that. I was like, wasn't it all gay women? But what's the one that's coming back? L word. The L word. The L word. Yeah. That, that I'm excited for. I that should say answer. straight men and their ideas. You mentioned, I, I should let our listeners know before I ask this question that you have one of my very favorite podcasts. Oh, thank you. How was your week? <laughs> I listened to it in 2012, and it's basically what made me want to podcast. Oh, that's awesome. To listen to it. I, it would come on every Friday, and I would leave the f- previous bus offices. Oh, wow. And walk home. I used to be able to walk home from work. It was the greatest luxury oh. of my life. And I would know <laughs> that it was Friday because Julie Klausner was in my ear oh, holes. that's amazing. Telling me about her week. And I was like, this podcasting thing. I, I think it's it. really going to be I love that. That's thing. the idea of women doing stuff is it should be encouraging to other women to say, yeah. I can, you know, representation. It's important. You see yourself in people that are doing things and it makes you want to do things. It's, it's something that we've known with children for years. And it's so inspiring and it was so funny. Thank and you. I was excited to hear you. Uh, you haven't made the show in a while, obviously, no, because no. you've been making a humongous Hulu show. Well, yeah. Um, but you recently came, dropped an episode. I did. And in it, you said something to the effect, I don't have the exact quote, but mm-hmm. that you hadn't been making as many because you have to be careful about what you say about people. Yes. Um, you uh. also talk a significant amount of smack generally about pop culture personages on difficult people. Yes, but in character. But in uh-huh. character. And it's fiction. And it's fiction. And it's from people that are characters instead of, me just running my mouth off mm-hmm. um, on, uh, you know, on my on my podcast, which I love doing. But I also feel like I have this amazing platform, which is my show. I should be using that as a way of expressing myself instead of being like, I feel this way about so-and-so. Because people do listen to me more than they did when I first started the podcast. And that's something I'll certainly never get used to, or at least I don't think I ever will. But knowing that and that there might be consequences to that that would possibly ever put my show in jeopardy, I could never yeah. take that that chance. And, and like I said, I could say what I want to say on the show um, or have the characters say what they want to say, but there is safety to it because it really is fiction. Right. I need to stop being mean to celebrities. Every time I talk shit about a famous person, I lose a potential gig. Talking shit about celebrities is what we do, okay? It's the only thing that comes more naturally to us than breathing air. I know, but maybe it's time to pull Perez Hilton. Posing a Speedo with a baby in the bathtub? No, I mean, stop being mean to celebrities. I want to talk about... I saw a clip of you, I believe it was at the Provincetown Film Festival, Yeah, talking about the portrayal of gay men in your show. I appreciate it so much. My, I feel like gay men starting from high school on have, were like my creative fathers. Yeah. Like, I feel like I wouldn't have a job in pop culture if it yeah. weren't for the gay men in yeah. my life. And there's, and while I was, you know, studying and learning from these various gentlemen, I would hear them, you know, like when, like say Will and Grace came out or whatever, they yeah. were like pissed off. They don't like, they're, they're tired of being props and they were tired of being like the comic, the, the flamboyant comic relief. And yep. they were tired of being one dimensional and non-sexual. And there was just this idea yeah. of like gay men in pop culture as being like a, the little woodland creatures in Cinderella that come and yes. help her get ready for the ball. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yes. like the woman in the thing can be like, as if their, their whole job is to like make a woman feel worthy enough to like emerge into the world. So when you were at P town and you were talking about having gay men, first of all, not as sidekicks as central characters, Correct. Yeah. multiple gay men who are like, they're different, different. kinds of gay men yep. and mm-hmm. they get to be sexual beings and yep. they get to be complicated 
people. Yep. And dare I say it, difficult people. Yes, you dare. <laughs> Where was that on your agenda? Like, how did you make sure oh, that that came through? Very, very high up. I mean, yeah. yeah, gay men are so important to me. I know this might sound silly, but I don't care. I, I love gay men and I, I, I am who I am because of because of them, you know, gay men appreciate funny women. They actually think that we're funny. Um, they're not. <laughs> um, uh, and obviously that's a generalization, but it was very, very important for me that the the, the gay male character of, of that Billy plays is, like you said, se- sexual, not neutered, um, not overly invested in the well-being of the the people around him especially mm-hmm. to like you know at no point he does, does not billy, make you over no billy does not want to give me a makeover um nor do i need one but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah to have that kind of selfish sort of self-efficacy that like that male characters are usually permitted to have and a destiny and a sexuality fear fear not women and gay men are like the center of the of you know they're the main course they're not any appetizers or garnish is there pushback on the fact that the that the cis men are somehow disempowered in comparison? Oh no, no, it's funny. Funny is funny. That's the nice yeah. thing too. It's like as long as it's funny, it doesn't matter where it lands politically to some extent. I mean, it should be the right side of things as far as I'm concerned because I like to, you know, try to be on the right side of things when I'm uh-huh. trying to say something about something that matters. But um but no, I, I think that like the Gamergate folks just don't know about the show. <laughs> Fine by me. Fine by me. On this show. Yes. We always ask every guest, what are you watching? Like what pop culture are you consuming? And should we be consuming it also? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I have to admit since um, the election, I've been really interested in rewatching my favorite movies and TV shows because there's something comforting about knowing how they end as right. opposed oh, to the I election. Like oh my God. Um, so yeah, I've been going back and rewatching all my Cone brothers, all my Charlie Kaufman and all my Spike Jones. And um, so, so that's sort of mostly the movies that I've been watching have been movies I've been rewatching. Um, I, uh, I love Insecure. Yeah. I, uh, Veep just ended. I love Veep. Veep was so good. Veep is amazing. Um, I watch Botched on E. Um, I think it's terrific. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to assume that's about fucking Plastic surgery. surgery. Yep. Uh, I watch, um, The President Show that my friend Anthony Atamanik plays Donald Trump on, which is wonderful. Oh, I haven't seen that yet, but it, I saw clips that look he, really good. He is the funniest man, uh, besides <laughs> Chris Elliott, who's alive right now. Um, I watch, um, occasionally I watch Bill Maher. He annoys me, obviously, but like sometimes he has something intelligent to say or someone with something intelligent to say on that show. Um, I love baskets. I'm looking forward for baskets. Oh my god, I love, I love baskets. Show. I absolutely adore that I love Louis Anderson show. on baskets. Louis Anderson is unbelievable on that show. He's yeah. unbelievable. Um, podcasts I listen to. Um, I listen to Fresh Air, obviously. Um, sound opinions I like, even though it's two male music critics that are like oddly not obnoxious and annoying. <laughs> um, <laughs> I know. You're like, well, how is and, and every once in a while, some like it'll veer into that territory, but they're pretty good about bringing it back and like remembering to include women in lists and things like that. The history of rock music is so misogynist. Anyway, they, they do a pretty good job of it, all things considered. And they had Penelope Spheris on recently. And it was one of the best nice. interviews I've ever heard. It was so great. Um, I like um, the New Yorker radio hour. I'm just uh-huh. like a real New York Jew in her liberal bubble. What can I say? <laughs> what can I say? Julie. Yes. 
Thank you so much for <laughs> being on our you. podcast. Thank you for having me. It's such a it's such a treat, and you know, I'm the biggest. I'm such a fan of Bust, and always have been, and always will be. You're so thank an you inspiration. Thank you for hosting me. Oh, thank you. The the feeling is mutual. Keep doing what you're doing, please. Thank the, the you. Girls of the, the girls of this country need it more than ever right now. Make you America keep doing, feminist. Making your that thing. Show right we'll now keep more than making our thing, Deal. and together we'll overthrow the patriarchy. Oh, God, I hope so. It seems so. It seems so daunting right now, but I, I hope so. I'm gonna keep fighting the fight. Yeah, it's grueling out there, but difficult people. Hulu. Yep. Every Tuesday there's a new episode. Um, and, uh, and please get the commercial free Hulu. No one's asking me to say that. I'm asking you to say that as a creator because I don't want you to stop and start my show for commercial breaks. It just works <laughs> better as a, as a clean shot. Unit. Yeah. They're 25 minute long. They're 25 minutes long. They're short. They're sweet. You know, just blaze through them. You don't want to, it's like a Simpsons episode. You don't want it to be constantly interrupted. Like a That's right. one has like two going. breaks. It has a momentum. Break. Exactly. Exactly. So they're meant to be seen just like as a straight shot. So please invest in the commercial version. You could always cancel it after you watch the show. <laughs> this is true. But either way, you need to watch it. Please do. When we come back, I'm going to ask Callie what to watch in. <laughs> This episode of Pop-Tarts was produced in the Listening Booth. Check out this sneak peek of their shows and then head to listeningboothmedia.com to find out more about each one. I'm Terrence Mickey, the creator and host of Memory Motel, a podcast that finds the drama in what we desperately want to remember or would rather forget. In season one, I explored such light topics as the different ways we remember the dead. Good afternoon. Thank you for calling the New York Times Classifieds. Christine speaking. I may help you. Hi, my name is Terrence Mickey, and I'm calling to inquire about an obituary. What information were you looking for that I could possibly help you with? Okay. I'm a big procrastinator, but I'm going to die at some point, so I just want to be prepared. And to get to the bottom of Stockholm Syndrome, I returned to the bank robbery where the first person was diagnosed with it. I always felt that I did something wrong. After almost 50 years, I felt, well, I didn't do anything wrong. I did what I had to do. And I'm kind of feeling proud of myself. And I followed a message in a bottle. He starts talking to me about a bottle with a message in it, and he says, Turks and Caicos. I'm like... And, I'm, you know, I'm real expressive. You can't see me, but, like, I make a lot of faces. And I look at my cousin and I, real quizzically, and I go, I don't know what this guy's talking about. So I says, hold on a second. I put the phone down. I'm like, what? What? And I go back on the phone. I go, okay, excuse me. What's a Turks and Caicos? I had no idea. To see where your memories take me next, please subscribe to Memory Motel wherever you listen to your podcasts. And to share your memories, please reach out to me directly on Twitter at Terrence underscore Mickey or at Memory Motel. For updates on season two, visit our website, memorymotel.audio. We're back. Hello. That was delightful. Adorable. I, I love, love her. Julie Klausner. Callie, 
what is it that you have been watching? Well, I'm on the Game of Thrones. Are you watching the old one still, or you just watched the one? No, for the I Braves? just watched that one. I'll get back to it, probs, but like years from now. The dragons, <laughs> the dragons are just—it's the dragons. It's all They're about popping the dragons. Off. Oh my god, it's so good. It was brutal. It was amazing. The women are crushing it. Um, I, I feel like it's not a spoiler because everybody was talking about it already. But Lady Olin Tyrell, she she died in the uh, two episodes. It's been two episodes since the last podcast. So she's getting poisoned, right? And she knows that she's getting poisoned. Uh-huh. And Twitter just lost their shit because she was basically like, oh, just casually drinks the poison. And then she's like, before I die, killed your son. Roll with that. Tell the other bitch that it was me. It's like, I'm going to drink this poison and spill all the tea on you. Um, And then I found this thing called Gay of Thrones, <laughs> which is like a funnier die thing. And it's this hairstylist, Jonathan Van Neese. And he recaps... Game of Thrones with like his guests that he's doing his hair and then they just like gossip about Game of Thrones. Good lord Brian did you see Game of Thrones this week? Is Mrs. Fields my downfall? Yes. And it's so funny because they call people different descriptors instead of the real names which is kind of how I, I can't keep everybody's name uh-huh. straight. So you know the guy that I think looks like Bama Jera? Yeah. They call him Jared let himself go. As in Jared <laughs> <laughs> busted Jared later. <laughs> I lost my shit on that and then there's Seriously, that's the big queen. They call her Vintage Mia Farrow. And they call her the Queen of Dragons lady. They call her Christina Aguilera. Christina is recruiting pledges for her sorority, Fry Dragon Dragon. <laughs> I just die every time. And then when they were talking about Lady Alina, die, like when she was poisoning herself, <laughs> the guy was like, I'm reclaiming my time. I'm reclaiming, I'm reclaiming my time. Oh my God, it's so good. So now I'm going to have to watch those those recaps every time I finish a Game of Thrones. Episode. It sounds crucial. It was so good. I went back and watched the old ones because it had me dying. Um, what else? Oh, I've been watching a lot of Penny Dreadful. I never watched that when it first Are came out. Are you enjoying out. it? Loving it. I, it's Dark Shadows-y. It is Dark Shadows-y. I'm really liking it. And you know I love anything with a witch in it. And there's so many different supernatural things. Yeah. Smooshed together. Yeah, I'm really feeling it. I'm almost done with... Uh, I just finished the second season, which was Mad Witchy. Yeah. So, and for the... If you haven't, don't know what it is. It's based on like those comic book novel, like comic books from the, what was it? Ancient London times. <laughs> you old London. <laughs> Not exactly ancient, Victorian. Yeah. So it's like uh, Dracula. There's so many people from Dracula in it that I, I mean, I guess I never read the book, so I didn't know how many characters from Dracula they could shove into there. And then there's the werewolf. And uh, basically I'm just in it for the witches. Oh, Joshua Hartnett is also on Penny Dreadful, which I yeah, love. Yeah, he is. Whew, and his body so, is yeah, also. he is smoking. But his body, his, his body is telling me yes. And then <laughs> Rihanna, Rihanna crushed it. I died the other day because Diplo gave an interview, I forget to who, and he was talking about how Rihanna shades the fuck out of him every time that they talk. Uh-huh. And he was trying to get her to play uh, to like be on some track and she was like your music sounds like reggae in the airport that's cold as ice it's so cold I love her I love everything she does and yeah that's that's what I've been watching pretty much right trying on. to watch that damn Jay-Z video Jay-Z release your video release to us your video to me from the cage oh and then there's this new you know I'm always standing now for Cardi B 
Mm-hmm. And she's got this track, Bodak Yellow. Hello, bitch, you can fuck with me if you wanted to. These expensive, these is red bottoms, these is bloody shoes. Hit the school, I can get them both. And it is going to be everywhere. It's already blasting off the internet. It's you heard going, it here first. It's, I mean, it's already taking over. Like, I think it's got an insane amount of hits on YouTube, and it's only been out for, like, not even a week. Nice. It's going to be... All over the place. The song of the summer. We got to go after that Cardi B. Okay. That's what I'm watching. What you watching? I'm glad you asked, Callie. <laughs> I watched a horror movie I thought you might enjoy on Hulu. It's called The Void. Ooh. And it involved like a lot. There was a lot of different horror movie things happening at the same time. Basically, there's an understaffed hospital. This hospital is in like the process of moving to like another hospital. And so there's just like a two or three people there getting ready to leave. Um, And then like a police officer pulls up with like someone who's wounded and that's the closest hospital. So he goes there. So many, he gets there and like shortly after he arrives at the hospital, the entire hospital is surrounded by mysterious hooded figures on every side. And then all hell breaks loose in like so many different directions that I keep, I, I almost felt like I was watching, I was flipping channels, but they, every movie I saw was a horror movie. Like, oh my so God. you've got the creepy hooded figures. You've got the abandoned hospital. There's like scary shotgun toting rednecks who show up. And then it's like, ah, oh, and there's like a hostage situation because of scary rednecks. And then there's like pregnancy centric body horror oh. with more than one character. Like, Women, yeah, like body. <laughs> and then there's contagion horror. Like, is there like a, a disease? Is it from space? Is it from ghosts? Like, what is happening? There's otherworldly monsters. There's monstery horror. There's mad scientist horror. There's zombie horror. Like, all these things are going on in the same movie. I want to watch it. It's called The Void. I'm not going to say that it's a good movie. But I will say that it. I wanted to see where all of this was going. Yeah. And I felt like I was watching multiple horror movies at the same time. Yeah, I'm it's intrigued. From 2016, so it's not old. The Void. Are you familiar with um, the Los Angeles Billboard star Angeline? Yes. Did you read this story about her this week? Yeah, I, I skimmed it. So... Long story short, there's a woman who has been, like, putting herself up on billboards in Los Angeles since the 80s. And her name is Angeline, and she's just famous for making these billboards of herself and riding around L.A. in a pink Corvette. It's very Tommy Wiseau. It is, yeah. And her identity has been a secret until The Hollywood Reporter finally found out that she is the daughter of uh, Polish Jews who were in who were both Holocaust survivors and she was born in Poland and uh, had spent her infancy in a German refugee camp and then spent time in Israel. And then her family moved to Los Angeles and she, I was like, Whoa, she's in the tribe. Like you could knock me over the feather that that girl is Jewish, but she's had so much plastic surgery. You would never know. Right. How did she get her the money? Did they ever explain? They did not explain that. That's the part that everybody wants to know. That is the part that everybody wants to know, and it was not explained by the Hollywood reporter. But you know how Jews love to like point out every single person who's ever been Jewish in the history of time. And now we can count Angeline and her pink Corvette, <laughs> even though she doesn't 
she says that she's not Jewish and she doesn't acknowledge that. She doesn't acknowledge it, but you know, you don't get much more Jewish than two Holocaust survivors. Yeah. That's, it's pretty Jewy. I was excited. I was excited to learn that. So, um, I saw the documentary. I'm not your Negro. Oh, it was on that? Amazon, all about writer James Baldwin, and he is talking about uh, the story of race in modern America through his unfinished novel. Uh, he's comparing and contrasting the lives of Medgar Evers, Malcolm X, and Martin Luther King Jr. It's directed by Raoul Peck in this amazing way where like, the whole documentary is told through the words of James Baldwin. Um, and it was so moving. I heard great things about it. It was really moving, and, you know, you really go back and forth being like, Oh, I'm so glad that America isn't like that today. Oh wait, America is like that today. You know, like just when you're sort of like gripped by the horror of the past, the director Raul Peck will like intersperse something down some real shit, something from today's headlines Mm. that just ties it all together. And it's, it was really moving. I feel like it was really important. If you're not a fan of James Baldwin and you are a, progressive political sort i think that this will pique your interest and make you want to read his work the last thing i wanted to ask you about did you watch dear white people the film or dear white people the netflix show i didn't see the film but i've seen the show the show is on my mind this week because i watched the movie and i liked it i thought it was a little uneven but i did like the movie and i really liked tessa thompson that was the first time that i sort of became aware of tessa thompson and she's gonna blow up so huge but um Then I was at home and around, I think the show came out on Netflix in April and I started watching the first episode and I thought that it was very, um, performative. Like I thought that the language was very, um, like not naturalistic, but I was willing to go along with it. Yeah. Maybe that's what, cause it was just, there's something very explanatory. Yeah. It's kind of disjointed in the way the story is told. And you know, like it was. I feel like it was almost like, dear white people, we made this show for you so we can teach you like, hey, don't put on blackface for Halloween. And also, like, even if you're rapping along with your favorite rap song, you can't say the N word. Even if you like the song, even if you're not racist, don't say it. That's not your word. Like, there's things that are very explanatory in the show that I feel like wouldn't be so heavy handedly explanatory if it wasn't made for white people. But I only was watching, I was watching it and I was watching it with my boyfriend, Logan, who's a gentleman of color. And he literally found it unwatchable. He oh, was really? like, I cannot watch this. This is like, he had a very strong reaction to it that I don't remember him fully articulating. And then I was thinking about that again, because I was listening this week to the New York times podcast, still processing which is such a good podcast. And it's hosted by two culture critics, Wesley Morris and Jenna Wortham. Jenna Wortham, shout out, who used to write for Bust Magazine Ooh. before the New York Times. She, they were talking about the series Dear White People. And they were talking about it in the context of performative blackness, how people are performing blackness in that show ah. in a way that they don't on more naturalistic shows like Queen Sugar or um, Blackish, or other shows where you really feel like you're getting like an African American slice of life that your white people feels like people are performing blackness for white people. Ah, and I was like, that's I wonder if that's what Logan was 
reacting so strongly to you. And, you know, like I felt that it was weird, but I was, I was ready to take it in, but he was like 100% not. And I didn't really put that together that that was a major factor in the experience of it until they were talking about it on still processing. And so now I'm processing what they were processing. (laughs) And that Callie is what I've been watching. What you watching? Well, this was a lovely one. I enjoyed it so much. The Klaus. Thanks to our producer, Rachel Withers. The greatest producer of of all. all. (laughs) Of course, our pals at the listening booth, Terrence, Mickey, and Chris McLeod. Thank you guys so much. And our girl gang at Bust Magazine. You can find me on Twitter all day, every day at Emily Rems. And you can email us both. I am at emilyrems at bust.com. Callie W at bust.com. And to find out more about Bust, visit us at bust.com. And finally... Please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. I feel like this podcast is like the Friends video on Tidal. <laughs> it's behind this cloud and people can't get to it unless you rate and review us. And you rating and reviewing us is going to be the equivalent of Jay-Z releasing that, that video, video from Tidal so the world <laughs> can experience it. The world can experience us if you would only take a moment to rate and review us. We would really, really... Super duper appreciate it. Drop us some love. Mwah.